You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. And we're coming to you I'm again. Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> we snuck one in there for you. You weren't expecting that, were you? We, we do have a guest with, with us this morning. We have the one and only, the unduplicated, the, I don't know, unexplainable. Maybe today uh, partially filtered. Partially filtered. <laughs> Kevin Krause is with Inter- us this morning international man of mystery we've mentioned your name a number of times on the podcast because of your uh, i think your influence on both of us and book recommendations online meetings in-person meetings and just Mm -hmm. friendship over 20 plus years of uh, working side by side and um, thanks for being on here kevin Uh, i'm uh, i've been looking forward to it and it's definitely a pleasure. And also, you know, it's also a nervous thing as well, because there is that little bit where um, I've, I've played the outsider, probably most of my involvement, um, you know, with Grace Churches and, and with the college and all of that. But then also in a weird way, I've been somewhat of an insider, probably from a, maybe a subversive perspective. Let me say this. I, maybe we've talked about this, but my first, like, meaningful interaction with you was probably you probably know the date was it 2004 or 2005 you were in the states and you came to the college and i was a, i don't know a freshman or sophomore or something like that and you uh came talking about the book liquid church and that just that kind of concept of um I, I guess a, a, a totally new, different for for me as a you know nineteen year old, kind of just getting my 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 ears in the world. A totally different way of like doing church and community and all that stuff. And it was kind of like uh, I, I wasn't ready for it, but it was I I, I do still kind of look back at that as like that was like a moment where later on, like. I kind of recalled that, you know what I'm saying? Like, as I began to kind of learn and experience more, I was like, ah, that's, that's what he was doing. That's what he was talking about. Um, and so I think that that, that's a good definition of yourself of like an insider, outsider, subversive, whatever, kind of this figure that pops in to people's lives for a while and then returns to Australia and smothers your Marmite all over whatever or Vegemite. You guys uh, Vegemite actually, there? Veg, Vegemite. Yeah. Marmite right. is just not on. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's for those English folk. You know, it's interesting that you refer to, to liquid church because, um, you know, my experience of that book, um, and also what was going on around me at the, at the time and what we were experimenting with, um, it was actually quite disruptive for me. Hmm. Um, I, I had a very, um, I think angry reaction to it at first because it was mm. putting into question this idea of a centralized mating, um, and it's had its impact. And you know, I I haven't um, I haven't discounted completely the centralized mating, but I you know I do have my my questions about things. I think that there's um, ways that we ought to be more fluid in what we do in providing community 
and a space for um, people to to learn um, and even to worship. You know, I I have a I have a strange relationship. I think now um, with that idea of worship and what that looks like. Um, but yeah, that, that's it's interesting that you uh, reference that book. Yeah. And it's 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 nice to hear that. Um, in my interactions as I've come back to the States or uh, it's always nice to hear um, stories about things that I typically can't even remember what I've said. I'm not even sure what I believed then. I'm not sure what I believe now, <laughs> um, but I just need to be present in the moment and be okay with, you know, that uncertainty. Well, the next time you came and the next time I had an interaction with you was probably 2007 or eight, probably four years later, right? You probably came back again. Yeah. And uh, I had just started working at the church and had kind of settled into Starbucks. There was a local Starbucks as my kind of mm-hmm. my place in my community there. And, and it was a great place. And, and I still, I, I wish that particular location was still around, but it closed. And that was right around the time Madcap was opening. And you had gone down there and we talked about it. And it's like, ah, I don't know, that place seems cool, but it's like really far away. And you said something to the degree of like, you should start going there instead. <laughs> you should start making that trip. <laughs> the coffee is, is, is high quality and that's the type of place that you should. And so, and that was also formative to me. It's weird. Now just talking about this, you're like little, uh, little appearances in my life have had significant impact. So. Gentle nudges. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, for those who don't know you, can you give like a nutshell version of kind of your journey in ministry leading up to to what you currently do? Yep. I think like a, a good starting point is where I've come from. Um, and, and so um, there is a bit of a Christian heritage in my family, but it's not a grace one, though it's a theology that's connected um, that I've only recently learned in the last couple of years, but um, uh, which is intriguing to me because it does have that dispensational component to it. But um, I, I grew up in the Spokane Berean Church and always have had some aspects of struggle in my life, some aspects of, of not completely fitting in and, and asking big questions. But it was that context that, that really uh, is where I found faith. Um, and what I would call a, a saving faith, even even today um, in my definitions, and also saved my life. So it was very practical, even though it was a very traditional, um, though probably on the edge for some grace circles um, at the time. And uh, because of that, um, and students coming from GBC at the time, now Grace University, uh, I was impressed with the people that I met and enticed to you know, kind of escape my family situation and go to Bible college. Um, and that Bible college, you know, uh, really, um, I guess, motivated by this idea that um, we need to be out in the world and engaging, you know, even in my Christian ministry um, commitments that I had while I was there, Degage Coffee House, I remember you know, skateboarding on Division Street and and talking to prostitutes. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I was always a little bit on the edge, right? So when was this? Um, Just to give a little context, not to to necessarily uh, date you here, but. Yeah, but it it happens. Um, And I actually don't mind it because I, I, uh, to most people, I don't typically look my age. 
And so I think that one of the things that I've always battled with is, is here is this greenhorn, right? So I, I graduated high school in 84 and I, I spent a year. That's the year I was born. Yeah. Uh, I, I just had this similar experience. I was training a barista and I talked about when I started Marcel Cafe and uh, she said that she was born then in 2001. Um, I just went, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So while at Grace got motivated um, by a, a, a chapel speaker to maybe spend some time in Africa and my wife and I, we got married actually to go to Africa um, to go to Zaire and um, worked there for two years. That was an amazing time teaching in a high school, teaching English. And then I also taught in a Bible school and a pastor school along with other things that we did. And it, it, it changes you. And I, I came back quite changed and motivated to actually try to excel and learn things at Grace. My The first part of my time at Grace, um, I think uh, it was, I was trying to find myself. I was trying to find my way and, um, and coming, you know, coming out of some trauma. So when I came back from Africa, it was like, oh, I need to really get into this. And, and that next semester, did honors for the first time in my life yeah. at anything educationally. And um, that was exciting. And the first person I wanted to ring was my dad, who I had a very broken relationship with. Um, in the process of studying at Grace and having gone to Africa, I thought I was going to end up in Western Europe, uh, actually in Scotland, because um, I'd been on a short-term mission trip just after high school. Um, and it, you know, in the end, it's, it's interesting that you talk or you entitle this podcast Pastoral Calling. And I've got a mixed like feeling about that, even that uh, terminology. But I felt very called to Africa. And then in that process of finishing at Grace and being in the youth ministry um, at Churches Now Frontline, um, uh, applied to Grace Ministries to go to um, Birmingham, England. Mm-hmm. They knocked that back. The Pumphreys? Uh, yeah, the Pumphreys. Yeah. That was, you know, we, we stayed with them, we met them, and you know, I thought, okay, here's, a, here's an opportunity to be connected with something grace, yeah. um, but to do something outside the box that's not typical missions. Mm-hmm. Um, GMI wasn't ready for that at the time, and they said, would you consider Australia? And I'm really grateful because it's so much warmer here. <laughs> and, um, you know, so we, we've been in Australia for 25 years now. And um, it, it has been phenomenal. Came out to the youth ministry to start with and then spent 10 years running um, a ministry that I had dreamt about for 10 years. Came out of, it was birthed out of a conversation um, at probably one in the morning in the men's storm of a few of us um, trying to solve the world's problems or maybe it was the church's problems or maybe the world's problem with the church or you know, trying to form some kind of community that would be a normal place for people to gather. So does that give you enough of a thumbnail sketch to what you're looking for, Matt? Yeah, that's really helpful to kind of track the trajectory of your life through these different um, really missional endeavors and kind of exploring mm-hmm. where the right fit was going to be for your uh, kind of your personality, your interests, also some of your... Um, maybe fringe uh, interests and experiences. And um, I think I've heard you put it this way, that 
uh, kind of a missionary effort that could reach people who would never come to your church. They're never going to come to your church. And so how, if that's the case, how will those people ever be reached? Yeah. And there's a degree to which I kind of was that person. Um, And you were the person that would never come to a church. To a degree. I mean, my, my mom made sure that my sister and I got to the church around the corner, which happened to be a grace church. But there was always a lot of, um, you know, question um, in my life. And I think also there, there's a, a bit of brokenness. Mm. And so I've got a real, a real heart for, um, you know, people that don't fit. Because mm. I, you know, in, in high school, junior high and high school, I was a nerd. Uh, you know, probably some would say that I'm still a nerd. Um, but, um, yeah, so I didn't belong. I wasn't popular. Um, and also kind of had two lives going on at the same time. I had my youth group life and then I had, um, my, um, not, not yet Christian friends. And that's how I kind of like to term people that don't believe the same (laughs) thing as me or don't yeah buy into that. Um, but in that, I, I, there was a lot of acting out in my life at the same time. So there was a very much a double life during that time. Hmm. So our podcast is really focused for the last 20 episodes plus on life in the local church, pastors of small to medium sized churches, their kind of daily rhythms and experiences of the ministry, the highs and the lows of that. But yours has been so different. And even in the last seven or eight years, not kind of the most recent chapter, describe if you could kind of the, the difference of doing this missional work outside the context of a traditional local church and maybe some of the things that are similar and some of the things that are different. Yep. And you might have to, you know, review with me the things that you want to get out of this because I'll, I'll, I'll start with some of that and then I'll forget where you wanted to end up. <laughs> um, so, it, yeah, for me, for a long time, I've had this commitment, this view that um, typically within Christian circles, we uh, kind of have a hierarchy of, of who is important in the body. <laughs> and so, I thought that ended so with uh, the Corinthians, but didn't we fix that problem (laughs) Uh, i think i honestly think there's a lot of problems we haven't fixed um and that's not you know that's not me standing from the outside and pointing fingers and saying uh you know all you church people right um so i've always been you know really um i guess at times burdened by um at other times um really um what either driven or just quietly motivated from this, I guess, fire within that, um, I, th- I really believe that we need to get out in the marketplace, get out within the community, because if yeah, if it's about mission, right? Whether it's about communicating a gospel message specifically in word to start with, or if it's more of a relational thing, or whatever it is, mission is about going from one place to another, right? Mm. It's crossing some sort of cultural boundary. And I think um, so often we look at, you know, it's, it's the pastors and the evangelists and the Christian, professional Christian workers that are, that are the ones that are kind of at the top of this hierarchy. Now, even as we te- may teach against that, 
formally in academia or within churches, there still is this natural inclination to look up to those people as something special. And for me, I think that all of us are special, right? In, in my um, work here in Australia, I've resisted being called Pastor Kevin. Mm. Now, for a time, I was known as Rev Kev, and that's because I had a radio show going, and it was a little bit of that tongue-in-cheek and made it fun, and it was, you know, the program was Reality Rock with Rev Kev. And I was always pushing the boundaries, and so that, that Rev Kev was like, okay, well, what does that actually mean? Because this is the music he's playing. These are the things that he's saying. It doesn't sound that, you know, churchy and, and all that. So I was, you know, trying to, I guess, poke some fun at how seriously we take ourselves. But for me, I've believed for a long time, the really important people are the plumbers and the bankers and the builders and the bakers, you know, um, and you know, people work in bookstores. No, I was, I, was, I, was, I was holding back. I was holding back. So I don't think they're as relevant now, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and yeah, things absolutely. like ca- cafe, you know, people mm-hmm. that run cafes, baristas, that's, you know, obvi- that's the obvious one. Yeah. Um, I've also seen this done in barber shops, you know, where it's a natural place to have a conversation. It's a natural place for you to see some of the similar people and have community form. And then you have a normal conversation about life and spirituality. Mm. It's not this stilted one of, oh, you're the one wearing a collar. Mm. You're the one that has a title that sets you in a different realm. Now, that that also can work to our benefit, but I think culture has shifted on that one. So I, I spruiked that for a long time and then set up this, you know, really it was a, a fake model of a cafe that was supported by churches in that my stipend was taken care of. Um, and then tip, the typical model that we were kind of transitioning out of the last number of years that uh, Lisa and I worked for the mission was this idea that you get two for the price of one. Now, you know, you know, some people that were on mission boards may take issue with me saying that sort of thing, but it's part of our history, right? So Lisa volunteered full time. And that's how we created this in environment that was different. We were able to afford to do that because it was backed by, I, I typically, when I introduce what I've done to people now, I talk about working in not-for-profit. I don't go straight to talking about having been in church work or mission work because I think that, that puts up a barrier. So I lived that, uh, what, informally, kind of a little bit fake because I was a missionary, I was a pastor, all that, right? And now the last seven years, I work for a coffee roaster, or I have worked for a coffee roaster. Um, just kind of stepped out after our company was sold and the ethos changed. And now my old boss and I have started a new company because we really believe in um, relationship and providing great coffee. And, you know, it's amazing trying to, you know, launch a startup in the midst of pandemic. <laughs> um, but we've had customers come to us and kind of chase us down because of that relational thing. And part of that for me is how I live my life out and that I, I do live with my heart on my sleeve and my, in a sense, my spirit on my sleeve. Um, but I don't use the churchy language that I, I believe typically puts people off. Um, and I'll even play with that a bit. Go ahead, Matt. So come back to a minute to the, 
to the cafe, to Mars Hill Cafe, and talk about what that looked like as a faith community. Because my understanding is that the mission was totally supportive of the effort as long as you had like some kind of quote unquote real church connected to it somehow. Right, you had to have some yeah. kind of gathering measurement for it to be a real yep. mission work thing. So, what did that look like, and what was the rhythm of it, and um, sort of how did you how did you cultivate community around that gathering? Yep. So it's it's interesting. I I spent um, a bit of today training baristas in in one of the cafes that we supply, and and I had a real a very real feeling of missing my old community of the cafe, watching them with their customers and knowing names and obviously having stories and the banter and, and all that. And also now providing um, this service where people, you know, are able to get out and have good reason to. They can't gather, can't come in and sit down. Now we're starting to open up here in New South Wales. Um, but for us at Mars Hill, it was we were running this business, and um, there was a, a documentary that was done from the, a digital media team that came from from Grace. And in that documentary, there's a friend of mine who was on staff at Mars, um, and he was an avowed atheist. And so whoever you know came along could be part of our team. Um, at early days, we kind of had this um, this percentage of how many. Christians to non-Christians we could have on staff. And, you know, we threw that out the window after a bit, right? And how it, how it worked is, is that it, we ran this business. Pe- the people that kind of got on the inside realized, okay, this is funny because that person said they're a volunteer. How do you volunteer at the, a business of a cafe, right? Um, and they, they'd get to know it a bit more. And they go, hey, I'd like to do that. Or they, they hit a tough part in in life or they become unemployed or break up with a girlfriend or boyfriend and they could, you know, become part of the team to fill up some of their time and learn some skills and become a closer part of the community. But really how it formed is, is we just ran a business and it was a social business. People would show up and you, you buy a cup of coffee and in essence, you got friendship as well. And not just the friendliness of your normal cafe that's just trying to make money. And we should have been more about that, just for longevity and sustainability. But it, it was it gave me an excuse as an introvert. If I'm serving somebody a cup of coffee that I've made or one of my staff has made, and I bring that to, to someone, it was my permission to have a conversation. Mm. Not to grab somebody and you know share my faith or whatever. It's just to share my life. And more about listening to them and their story and not needing to switch it around for me to talk about anything because I, I think that it's really important for people's story to be heard and for somebody to feel heard and not to feel like a target. So, you know, there was opportunities to get involved. There was opportunities to just come and have a safe place to hang out. Um, I've got a friend right now. He's uh, been running his own business. He's done well for himself. Uh, not grossly well, but really he's done, he's done well. He's a smart guy. Um, and, you know, when, when he showed up at the cafe, you know, he's probably 14, 15. 
And recently, as we're doing this startup, he says, uh, hey, hey, Kev, if you need some investment in this startup, you deserve to finally make some money because you gave away your life during the Mars Hill days and you provided me a space to grow up in. That's the type of community that formed because we really got into each other's lives. Lisa and I also didn't have great boundaries in the midst of that and there's some pitfalls in it. But it was about running a business that truly cared about people and giving them an opportunity to learn some skills but also have a place of relationship that was true relationship, not a con or an opportunity to present their art, whether it be poetry, whether it be music, whether it be visual art on on our walls. Uh, and and which was interesting, um, because at the heart of it, right, isn't that what we at church long for and desire is to have these communities where people just are open and free and, and, and comfortable and whatever. But like you said, I think just the act of, for some people, if they're not a church person or they don't have a history with church, like for me, I can't really relate because I don't remember the first time I went into a church, you know, like I grew up as a pastor's kid. It was just yep. like this ever present part of my life. I can only imagine someone who has never been to a church walking into a church for the first time and just the like it would be impossible for them to be open and transparent. You know what I'm saying? Like it would be, it would just be, uh, just the, yeah, the, the intimidation maybe, or the unknown yeah. and all of that. And so the, the cafe, like traditionally, historically, and not, I'm not talking about Mars Hill cafe. I'm talking about the idea of the cafe, yep. right. Has this long tradition of being this place where ideas are shared and, um, and conversation is had and and you just naturally are open in a place like that and so you I've, you see this right in churches trying to say well let's put it let's make a cafe in our church so that people will yeah. come and feel comfortable and whatever and i always just kind of it it just doesn't that that doesn't work like that those cancel each other out right as soon as you put the cafe yeah. in the church it ceases to be the cafe and so and so there's that that just kind of interesting kind of interaction there. Yeah, and I, I think I don't I don't think we realize um, how I guess unsettling and scary of an experience it is to walk into somebody else's community. Yeah. Right. And church is really somebody else's community. And the interesting thing for me, and I don't I don't know where all of this has come from for me, but I've always felt like an outsider. Yeah. So I've identified more with people who wouldn't be of faith than I do identify with people that have faith. Mm -hmm. Faith has always been difficult for me. So if, if going into a church is difficult for me, mm -hmm. even after being trained as a, as a minister, right? How bad has it got to be for people that, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. It's a different universe. I think we do well to like put a cafe in there and try to make it more friendly, right? I think it's it's great intention. Yeah. But I agree with you. I don't believe it works. Yeah. But as we were talking about that, I was just thinking that I do have a, an experience that kind of makes me 
kind of know what it was like. I, I think I shared this story in the podcast a long time ago, but a few years back, Mason Slater and I decided on Christmas Eve, we wanted to go to the candlelight service at the local Episcopal church, just to kind of take okay. in the liturgy and all of that. Yep. And just even that feeling of like, there is things happening and I don't know when I'm supposed to stand and when I'm supposed to kneel and what I'm supposed to say. And I think I shared the story about when I went up to take communion and I didn't, <laughs> didn't know because it was like, you go up to the altar and you kneel and you take communion. And apparently you're supposed to take the cup from the, from the priest, the parishioner, whatever, and, and drink it. And I thought that they were just going to, so I just like stayed there like a baby bird. <laughs> <laughs> the, that was uh not the finest moment in jim shamari's life but uh but that that those feelings of like feeling very out of place and very uncomfortable now at the same time i i do think that there is like any community will eventually develop its liturgies right whether it looks like a liturgy or not you know so like even for me like if i were to step into your cafe for the first time it's still this is someone else's place and there are there are those kind of communal walls that that are just naturally up and that's a good thing right because that's what creates community is like this is what we do here these are our practices this is this yep. is our identity yeah i think it's about belonging yeah that's it's interesting you know i've i have a pretty good idea of what we did mm. And there's also some mysterious stuff that just went on, right? <laughs> I, like, I, I, re, I remember um, I'm standing at the sink behind the bar uh, in the cafe. And I've got one of my old cafe friends that's been around for a while. And I'm washing dishes at the sink. And he's telling me the story of how he discovered the cafe. But he talked about coming, walking down Church Street and he's a gothic guy. And so he's in his trench coat. You know, he's, he's got, you know, the markings of being gothic. And as he walked, it was like walking the gauntlet down Church Street. And feeling the eyes on him. The comments being made. And then he reached Mars Hill Cafe. And the way that we painted it, the way we had a club lounge right in the window, you know, with the Mars Hill logo painted on the front window, very much like Central Perk. It, it just like screams out, here is home. Here's mm -hmm. that comfortable space. Um, and when he walked in, he felt welcomed. Mm -hmm. People were happy to see him. Whereas the other places, um, you know, there was a certain uh, maybe ethnic group at each cafe mm -hmm. or it was a certain socioeconomic or um, it was you needed to buy um, a bunch of food to monetize your seat, you know, hmm. that sort of thing. So from the start, like I, Interesting. Um, it seemed to be this welcoming space, even in the first couple months, um, I think it was even the first couple of weeks, um, there was this, uh, this thing that happened where there was a, a group that was sitting in the club lounges and they'd pulled one of the games that we'd put on the shelf um, pulled that off and we're playing together and they noticed somebody partway through their game sitting at a table by themselves that they, and they didn't know this person. And we watched them introduce themselves and say, Hey, do you want to play this game with us? And I, I 
I don't see that going on many places, right? And I and I just sat back and I went, wow, I think we've done it. And it, it was something in the alchemy of how we paint, you know, the paint of the walls, the, the way we arrange things, um, and then the people that ended up coming there made it that place. So that's so, like, I just love the way that you describe that in the, like, the contrast between some of those other maybe places where there are, like, this is what you need to do or be to belong in this place. Yep. But your space was like kind of like this egalitarian, you know, as you are. <laughs> and like, like that is, that is the first century church, right? And that's what made them so weird is that they were that community that, that looked at the distinctions that were a part of first century culture and said, we don't play by those rules. We have a completely different, different standard of what it means to be a part of this. That that's hard to do. It's that's hard to do for us as, as especially I think in our churches. And I mean, you've spent enough time in American suburban churches that many of us are in to know that we have, like we just are, we're, you know, I got a bunch of middle-class white people in my church. And, like, w- w- I don't know. I don't know. What does that look like for, like, I, I, I think that's such a cool ideal. It's, it's, it's dangerous. It's messy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the 10-year process of that for Lisa and I um, did burn us out. Mm. Um, I mean, we had customers live with us. Um, probably not a good choice, but also I'm glad that we did. Yeah. I am glad that we did, right? And what you said about liturgy, I, we did have a liturgy, but it was a liturgy that was accepting, and and it wasn't. Here is our way of talking. Here is our way of um, creating and doing art. It was. Um, we're in this area. So people talk like this. Now, we're not going to put it on. We're going to be ourselves. But, you know, if, if someone, you know, is, is someone that would naturally swear, we would go, oh, you, <laughs> you can't talk, you know, unless it's just right. like it's really abusive right. or that sort of thing, right? Yeah. And it would be the same with, you know, the art that we had on the walls. We took some risks with some of the art that we put up. Um, when uh, we had an op- open mic poetry, you know, it's risky giving people a platform, you know, of, of saying things that I would disagree with mm. morally, spiritually, ideologically, whatever. But, um, you know, having that freedom to actually speak your heart was amazing and, and, and risky and uncomfortable. And at times I wondered, wondered what am I doing? but think that the space is such a huge part of what you're doing at Mars. And one of the things that um, we enjoy and, and are privileged to have these buildings, but they're also a bit of an anchor around the neck in terms of cultivating yep. the kind of openness to, to new members joining a community is that we're, we're stuck in these buildings and they have these foyers and these fixtures that are that look like a church slash office building 
And so when I come in, there's not, um, there's not necessarily a sense of reverence, but there is a sense of this place that is not my space and I'm not a part of this here yet. So it doesn't feel like mine rather than that kind of porous boundary that's more open. And now it's, it's fascinating to think about because we, for the last eight or nine weeks, 10 weeks have been without access to those buildings and then have been forced to think about how do we continue to have these communities and these relationships apart from meeting face to face and then apart from the physical space. Yeah. And like for me, you know, I've, I've, as I've talked about, um, my own art, I, I don't do visual art. Um, it's been a long time since I've written songs or played songs publicly, but something that has been a consistent part of my expression is creating space. And, um, I do that at home, did that with the cafe and I try to do that, um, as I meet people, being an introvert, you know, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm extroverted and I can draw people out. You know, Lisa, my wife um, of 33 years this past weekend, uh, which is, yeah, really, you know, amazing. <laughs> as much as a moron as I've been at times over that 33 <laughs> years, you know, it's absolutely amazing. But um, by the grace of Lisa, go you. <laughs> yeah, there is that, without question. But like, she's really good at drawing people out. Mm. So, like in the Enneagram, um, I'm a type one. I'm the reformer, so I'm like, I'm always like, you know, pushing people and making them uncomfortable. And, and but then from an introverted personality, so mm. you know, there there can be those moments where Lisa's a, a type nine and she's an extrovert. And so she's gregarious and she's got, you know, we joke about 20 questions because she can, you know, she's got 20 (laughs) questions ready to go. I get to about three and it's an elevator moment. But part of creating space is showing interest and letting somebody else talk. And, um, and not limiting that and not needing myself to talk but and then having to get out of my comfort zone when there is too much dead space and trying to keep things going but i i I think it's not limited to just physical space i know matt you were uh setting a goal of talking about um online gathering which has been a a significant thing uh where we've transitioned um a lot of different gatherings or meetings or whatever but I, I think the way that we do this is, is really important. And one of the methodologies has been just to replicate what we do at church on a screen. And I don't think that that's the answer. And, you know, for some churches, I want to say good on them for doing that much. Because, you know, churches that have not even ever been on Skype you know, old school video conferencing kind of technology, right? Skype to then put the video technology. Gary Hansen and I were talking about <laughs> this. How did yeah. Zoom become the Kleenex of video video meetings, right? Like the zero in the course of like a month, like it's just called Zooming now. They yep. uh, yeah. they struck while the iron was hot. Well, and I think that they were present with a with a form of the technology that offered you know, this free 40 minute with multiple people. And maybe it was more reliable, 
Um, now I'm hoping that Skype is listening right now because like, <laughs> I think they're subscribers. Skype, so we'll, we're good. Bill Gates nice. is listening. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, but anyways, I, I think it was timing and that the biggest thing is making it easy. Mm. I love my technology and I'm pretty good at it, but if there's too many barriers, I'll throw up my hands and I'll use a different technology. Why is that? Because, and, I, and you're absolutely right, and, I, and I'm there too, but we have this craving for community, but we also are very quick to just say, ah, I'll just sit at home, and, and maybe that's, that's the introvert inside all of us, because I think we all have, I know I have a little bit of that, quite a bit of that as well in me. Well, and, and I wonder if with people that are disconnecting from um, spiritualities or gathering or, or any of that, I, I think if we're not mindful enough of making the connection, like actually not the technological connection, but if we don't make this somewhat other in its experience, somewhat different and personal, right? Yeah. Um, why bother? Yeah. I mean, TV, TV is old technology now, right? Yeah. Broadcast TV. So viewing has gone down and people are switching to services like Netflix um, or Stan or you know, Amazon Video or whatever. So they choose what they watch when they watch it. Um, it's been interesting. Lisa and I have watched you know, in, in the midst of pandemic. We have watched some TV that we've pre-recorded. But the ad's coming up, like, oh, an ad. That's weird. Because, <laughs> you know, I just don't experience that anymore. But for me, I think we really need to be intentional about this now. Um, like for the three of us in the room, there's some previous connection that this is built off of. Mm -hmm. And that might be somewhat necessary. But um, I think with making effort, um, to be personal, to be real, and some of that's around self-disclosure um, and not just being a talking head, but actually letting heart come out. Um, and that, for me, that's a bit natural because, you know, I'm a bit of a, a weepy dude, <laughs> you know, something touches me a bit and it kind of oozes out, but, and I've had to become okay with that and so, still not totally okay. So as as i from a pastoral standpoint am kind of thinking through all of this stuff right and we like like the church you described we have not done any sort of live stream very very minimal digital presence outside of our like direct community we have a facebook group for our like a private facebook group for church members that we're very active on sharing prayer questions but that's really the extent of it um but like everyone, we've had to kind of adapt and start doing streaming online services and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. I, I think I have, we have not had that digital presence intentionally, at least from, from my perspective, because I mm -hmm. have, I guess I'm wary of it. I'm wary of, of us thinking that that is synthesizing the true human connection and so, and to think, oh, you know, I'm getting it here. I'm getting it in my house. I'm still part of the church sitting here watching and, and doing that. I, I don't need to 
go and be present in that place with those people and eat that bread and drink that cup and, you know, shake that hand and all of that stuff. So why, why bother? Why do I do that? And I, and I, I'm weary of, I'm weary of, of what happens when we as the local church start to, to think that we can do it all virtually and digitally. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> so, so first, I, first I want to draw Matt out. Um, Cause um, Matt, you and I have gathered fortnightly for 18 months. What's your experience of that been? So I'm one of the people who um, in the past hated, hated video calling. If, if my wife was on a video call with her sister, I would make every effort to stay out of the screen. I would avoid okay. it. And, and I'm not sure if that's because I don't like the way I look on screen. I know that that's true. But I also, it, it never felt real. So like that, that like mm-hmm. why, would you, why would you have a video call when you could just call? You know, I remember the, you know, the sci-fi cartoons of when we were kids of, you know, when there would be a video screen, <laughs> but it was attached to the wall. So the video screen was only in one place. You have to stand there in the kitchen, you know, to be able to talk to someone through the video screen. So now we have them in our pocket. And, and I think it's, it's a technology where the use of it, maybe like anything else, um, you, just, you just develop a comfort level with it with a new technology, sort of like, like driving a car, you know, someone might say, Oh, I'd never drive a car. I'd never get in one of those things. But, you know, in, in another five years, they're, they're the one given lessons to their teenager or something like that. So the, there's a bit of a learning curve that comes with technology. There's a bit of a, you know, not wanting to feel like an imbecile learning something new. Um, but in our meetings, Kevin, I would say, there's virtually no barrier to our communication. You know, there's a bit of a lag. Sometimes your voice breaks up. You make allowances for those technological difficulties. But like we have been able to have like very powerful, emotional, even moving connections where we feel support from one another and 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 to one another. And we provoke and we challenge and, and all of that has been very real and has borne fruit, I think, in both of our lives. Yep. So it it's possible it takes some intentionality. Yep. Um, it's a little bit different with strangers or if you start a new group or something like that where sure. people need to, to feel out those boundaries and what's safe and what's okay. But my... my the increasing body of my experience with this stuff has been that if you want support, encouragement, and people are doing counseling now through these yep. virtual meetings, um, that that's, that's a real thing. And, and Kevin, you even had the experience like when you came to the States the last time and you drove up to my house, <laughs> yep. my kids were running all around. That was really hard for you. Oh, like a, I was weirded out to a degree and, and, and it was also, it was kind of like, Oh, wait a second. Where's this amazing connection that I've had with Matt. 
I'm feeling uncomfortable sitting on the lounge, and I know that this is going to impact this, right? Mm -hmm. um, in, in with what's coming. But I just had to, you know, the next day, everything was back to normal, right? I didn't have to. Right. I didn't have to ring you on my iPad, you know, from where I was staying, um, you know, to make it normal again. So it didn't take long to switch back. Go ahead, Jim. So this is what I'm interested in, though, is digital media as a whole lends itself very well to um, curation, right? Mm -hmm. So like we see this with like the Instagram, like I show you the life that I want to have, not the life that I actually have. Is there a danger in that? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm such a strong uh, believer, or I, at least I, I want to be a strong believer in the importance of space and place and locality and all of that stuff. And I just fear what leaning f too far into this sort of thing does for that. Yeah. Because we can choose, we can choose the people that we want to be in our community. We can choose the, the way we want our community uh -huh. rather than just embracing what the, the, the land is, is giving us. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah, but I, I'll, I, but I'll dis I will disagree with you. Please. So I will disagree with you because, um, you know, I'm currently experiencing it's good and, you know, and hopefully no one on another, you know, a zoom call watches this or listens to this or whatever and goes, oh, I wonder if Kevin's talking about me, right? <laughs> but I've been on some Zooms over the last couple months where, um, you know, this, this group was pulled together from um, a lot of different places. And there can be some really annoying people that mm. I wouldn't choose to be in that gathering, right? And they've got mm. great contribution, and, and we have relationships they're you know maybe just kind of my annoying friend or, or whatever right and i think at that and that and that happens at church or any gathering right yeah yeah now I, this is the new reality though so we can be afraid of it i think that social media is also the new reality and so we can we can say i'm not going to be on facebook um and that can that's a valid choice right and it is a mm -hmm. curated persona even so we, we get together and i and i do this so i'm i'm intentional so sometimes i will sit on my deck like you are mm -hmm. and i've got the blue sky behind me and my palm trees that are in my neighbor's <laughs> yard because like it's a great backdrop it looks like a virtual backdrop i'm in the middle of blacktown and it looks like you know i'm in florida or hawaii or something. yeah <laughs> right? Um, but I'll also, I will choose different places. You know, I've got, my office is not big, right? It's a small office, but I've curated this space to express some things about me. And I will sit in different places depending on who I'm getting together with. And it expresses part of who I am. And so I'm, I'm being intentional. Now, mm. is that, am I being dishonest by that? No, I'm, I'm curating that I have you know, some, some stuff around me that expresses part of who I am mm. and yeah, part of who I aspire to be, um, what some of my history is all of that. Um, but the thing is, so this pandemic is, 
has impacted us. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, things will never be the same. I don't think it's going to go back to just normal. There probably will be some elastic reaction and we'll, we will shake hands when we thought maybe we wouldn't shake hands. But I, I think to a degree, because of the uniqueness of my perspectives and you know, with, with the connection with a Christian spirituality, but then also this al- alternate nature of it and this questioning nature of it and being a bit of a fire starter, provocateur and all of that, my really good friends are spread long mm. distances. So if I don't engage this, then I miss out on this. Hmm. And my life is so much richer because of stuff like this. And it's, it's shifted me. It's changed me. I'm also trying to think through. Um, and, I'm, and I'm really grateful to be a part of the podcast because I'm trying to think through, okay, what should I be doing in this regard? Because I think that part of my makeup is – um, it, this is working. Mm. Yeah, there are, I, I mean, I, I hope you don't mind if I out you, Matt. You, you alluded to the emotional side of things, right? With us. And it's, it's really interesting with your personality and also being in this relationship through the screen that typically there's not very many times that we get together that one of us doesn't emote a bit to the point of getting teary in reflection on our life, where we're at. But and that's been intentional. I've, you know, to a degree, and, and this isn't manipulative. You, know, you Jim, you use the word curate. We curate our image. Yeah. I think we can positively curate this experience. Just like you curate a podcast. Yeah. You know, you're trying right. to get intellectual well, and- um, engagement. Yeah. And I guess to some degree, that's what I, we do when we're physically in the church as well. Um, and that's one, something I want to kind of come back to when you were talking about how you have always found a artistic expression in space. And we talked a little about the non-physical space, but I, I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about the physical aspect too, because to some degree that is, that is certainly true. And we've been talking about buildings in a cafe versus a, a church or whatever. I know like for me, we've shared on this podcast, my church looks like a, a Costco. It looks like a box warehouse and mm-hmm. I hate it. I don't hate the, mm-hmm. the you know, I, I wish my building was more, I would prefer my church to look more like a cathedral than yeah. Costco. And there is a certain intentionality curation that comes along with that, that I want people when they walk into the church to feel the otherness, right? The reverential, like I'm stepping into something different. And that kind of goes against what we were talking about earlier with like the cafe and how that does the opposite. And maybe the, maybe the, the challenge is when a church that is a cathedral says, Hey, we should be like a cafe. That's when it doesn't work. Right. But when these two things kind of own who they are and like says, we're not a church, we're not going to be a church. We are a church. So let's stop trying to look like Costco. <laughs> let's start trying to look like a church. Yeah. And there's maybe that, that kind of interplay there. And so, yeah, like yeah, curation, I guess, as, as you kind of talk through that it is, is certainly part of, of what we do and what I do. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know where the question is going here, but yeah, I, but I think we can be intentional in those spaces. Yeah, and it, but it's work. It's yeah. work. Yeah, and it and it costs some money. Doesn't have to cost a lot. I mean, where our faith community would meet was the upstairs of the cafe, mm -hmm. um, and it was um, it was very much a cafe space and had art on the walls and so our environment was always changing because you know there's art on the walls and at times if there was a thought-provoking exhibit that would become part of our worship and we might you know not have someone from up the front dominating which we rarely ever had it was always kind of this circle and it was a great opportunity to say hey you know take 10 minutes and wander around the room and find a piece of art on the wall that says something to you. You know, so some yeah. of it's remixing whatever's going on. Yeah. Um, a book that really impacted me that I want to mention in this regard, and it ties into the cafe and kind of what the trajectory of my life has been in creating space. When I was writing my master's thesis, I hung out at a cafe that was a roastery as well um, in... Um, in Spokane, it's called the shop. And the parents that had, I think it was the parents that had started the place, or maybe it was the kids that, that started it and they would hang out there. But they recommended this book to me that was called The Great Good Place. And it was about cafes and bars and beer gardens and taverns, the, the, the local. Mm. And that the local was dying. I think we have a great opportunity to create locals, whatever that is, however that is, but to think differently about how we are as church, that our space is multi-use. If we're going to have a building, let's make it multi-use and actually contribute to the community, not just a spiritual thing, but a place where people can gather to do things that aren't our services. Now, that might get sketchy. Mm-hmm because of what they might present in that space. But they're the ones presenting it. It's not, we're not necessarily representing that. We are facilitating whatever, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, shirt over, they can run a strip club during the weekend or, you know, that sort of you know thing. But I guess making it community space mm. where people gather. Kevin, thanks for such an interesting conversation around virtual space, real space, connecting with people, making community. Uh, there's so much more here to talk about and I hope we can have you back on again soon. And I know I'll be talking with you soon. And yep. I know that um, your your insights into my life and into our, our work together really just bring such a, an enrichment to, to this podcast and to both of our ministries. So thanks for the time so much. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, great, grateful to be here and we'd be happy to come back. Uh, it's an opportunity for me to speak back into the institution that saved my life. Mm. Um, and I still have a commitment to, and also at times feel like I'm the wild eyed preacher on the street corner, you know, with the placard, the end is near. And I think the end <laughs> is near in some ways. Right. And we, we do need to, we need to shift how we are in our mm. world. Every tradition needs one of those guys. I think. Yeah. Thanks so much guys. You've been listening to the pastoral calling podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, 
Make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.